Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 151. As always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, or a pandemic. What better way to end your day with a nice, ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? And we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. With that said, let's bring in our guest, the director of North American Scouting from Dauber Hockey, and Dauber Prospects, Tony Ferrari. Tony, welcome to uh, the show. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Uh, great. Uh, I kind of screwed that up. But uh, first of all, I've been a big fan of Dauber for a long, long time. I know a lot of my uh, uh, medium brother and are as well. But for fans who might not be aware of the service, why don't you give us a little background uh, on Dauber? Well, Dauber Hockey is the, the home site of everything. That's where we do most of the fantasy hockey stuff. And that, that's kind of where Dauber Hockey started. And then uh, about 10 years ago, 14 years ago, I think maybe even, um, Dauber Prospects kind of came into the fold and, and we've developed a, a, a Prospects-focused uh, website for that. Um, we originally focused on fantasy stuff, but over the last couple of years with me and a few other people like Cam Robinson and Yoki Nevelinen, we've really started developing a, a more draft focused prospect focused website and, and just for a resource for, for drafted prospects and draft eligible prospects. Um, we have a ton of stuff on there from, uh, player profiles for every team, including the Detroit Red Wings to just NHL draft mock drafts and, and rankings and stuff like that. We just released our, our site rankings. Uh, on Wednesday, so we're getting a lot of fun stuff going on with the draft right now. Well, it really sounds like it, and we're so glad. I know you're busy. We're all busy at this point. Uh, it's great to be having, even though the playoffs were excellent, and I tip my cap to everybody involved in that and the bubble format, uh, you know, no COVID-19 positive uh, uh, cases reported. So a great job there, and the quality of hockey was excellent. But it is great now to start talking draft, unrestricted free agency. Hopefully sooner rather than later we're going to get a hockey season going. But uh, let's talk about this upcoming draft. It'll be coming up on the uh, uh on October uh, 6th and 7th, uh, that is Tuesday and Wednesday. Tony, everything I hear, the general consensus is, is that th it's a deep draft, but it's deep in forwards. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, I definitely would, because the defensive group this year isn't as strong. Next year is going to be really strong. Next year will be a good year for defensemen. But for this year, it's a deep draft, but it's it's a weird draft, because it's not necessarily deep on, on surefire 100% NHLers. It's deep on guys that, especially from once you get beyond 20 to about 60 or 80, there's a lot of guys that have a lot of high-end talent or have a couple tools that really intrigue teams, but they also have a lot of flaws. So there's a lot of high upside in this draft, but it, it's not necessarily a draft that you're going to get a surefire NHLer in the second or third round. When you look at it that way, I mean, the, the, you know, consensus seems to be that Alexi Lafreniere is going to go to the Rangers, Quinton Byfield to the L.A. Kings, and then the Ottawa Senators with the pick that they acquired through San Jose in the Eric Carlson deal will most likely go Dim Stutzler, the young German uh, prospect. Do you see it falling that way? I, I do, because in, and I think those two, three picks could be flipped, maybe. I, I know L.A. is kind of really keen on Stutzel, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if it went Stutzel byfield but I think those three are pretty locked in up at the top. When, when you look at it, I, I mean, I know Red Wing fans are going, oh, no, Tony, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. But with all that said, I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of curious, um, are the three of them, uh, Stutzel, uh, 
Byfield and Lafreniere, are they the cream of the crop? I mean, I, I hear that it's them, and then there's a line drawn and everybody else, even though everybody else is not too shabby in their own right. Yeah, I think the line is really drawn at two. I think with, with Lafreniere and Byfield, they've separated themselves, in my opinion. Uh, Lafreniere with that like almost surefire, you're getting a star when you draft him. And with Byfield, there's so much upside in, in with his how young he is for the draft class. This kid's t- ceiling is limitless almost. And with Stutzla, I think the hype around him has kind of gotten a little bit higher than it should have because he was this this really young or this really um, unknown prospect at the start of the year. And I was one of the early adopters because I'd seen him a little bit playing in the DNL the year before. And, and I had him in my top 10 early in the year. But I've left him around six or five in, in my rankings even now because I think Lucas Raymond is the guy that's probably closest to Quentin Byfield, in my opinion. Um, it, it's a deep draft. And that top ten, once you get beyond three, I think, it, it's, it's really wide open. You could j- really justify almost any player from about three to ten. Well, you know, before we get into, you know, some of the other players, uh, and I know you look at each organization, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think everybody knows, and I think maybe that's why the Red Wings were – bitterly disappointed that they fell to the four spot in the draft lottery was because general consensus is, is that four pick, it's wide open. It's wide open. You know, no one knows exactly, you know, no one ever knows what Steve Eiserman's going to do. But when you look at that fourth spot and you look at where the Red Wing organization is, first of all, why don't we get a quick assessment where you think the Red Wing organization is as far as we know the team unfortunately was the you know record wise the worst team in hockey but some of the prospects some of the drafting that uh you know kind of an overview in your mind where you think the wings are at well i think the wings they've got a pretty good prospect pool i i think they're probably one of the top 10 prospect pools in the league right now but i think where they really lack it is up front i think their defensive prospects are really good guys like cider and in heronic and chalowski are still young other guys like tuomisto i think they're really solid on the back end and, and that's why if I'm them, I probably avoid drafting a defenseman in this draft at four. So I, I think their real weakness is up front because they've got guys like Zadina and, and they've got Rasmussen and they're good players. And I think Zadina can be a legitimate 30 goal scorer at the NHL level one day, but they don't really have that play driving prospect that really that, that gem of the pool. And I think at four, they can really pick that up this year. Well, you know, with that, you know, let, let, let's kind of look at that. I mean, you know, Philip Zadina, I think the Red Wings were extremely happy when he fell to them at the sixth spot. He seemed to show some uh, flashes last season before uh, before he got injured, uh, you know, the broken ankle or, uh, you know, against the Rangers, I guess that happened, you know, kind of late in the season. But, you know, I, I, I'm kind of curious. You say a 30-goal score. You know fans are impatient. Uh, do you see him? I know he's playing in the Czech Republic right now as we speak um, on, a, on a team that his father's the assistant coach. Do you see him coming to full circle this year, or do you think it might take him a season or two to be that 30-goal scorer? I, I think before he gets to be a 30-goal scorer, I think he'll need a, one more year kind of in the league, like a full season, really immersing himself, really getting used to the, the level of play at the NHL level. I could see him getting 20 maybe next year. In, I mean, depending on how long the season is, it could be an abbreviated season. But over 82 games, I could easily see a 20-25 goal season out of him next year and then start challenging 30 after that. You know, you, know, you, might, you mentioned Michael Rasmussen, who... Um, and, you know, and I saw him the year the Red Wings drafted him was the last year they had development camp in Traverse City, and I was up there. And I saw this drill, and I know I've said it before, and people who listen to the podcast know, oh, my God, he's not going to say it again. Yes, I'm going to say it again. Uh, uh, he did a drill 
where he stood in front of the net, and I believe Keith Petrozelli, they were drafted in the same class, was it was the goaltender, and he had uh, assistant coaches fire pucks towards the net, and he tipped it, and I'm not exaggerating, Tony, his hand-eye coordination in front of the net. I, I would say 100 shots, 95 of them went into the net. I mean, he has an extraordinary talent that way. He's a huge guy at six foot six. I know he was learning the center position uh, in in Grand Rapids uh, this past season. Started off really well, then got had a, a little bit of a back problem. Where do you think Rasmussen is at at this point? Well, Rasmussen's an inter- in, an, in- an interesting prospect. I, I think he's a guy that definitely has the talent and in, in the, the skill and the size and everything you want in an NHL center. I, but I think there's a little bit too much pressure on him to be a really high-end offensive player because I think where they drafted him was maybe a little bit higher than than where he was maybe slotted in that draft class but I think he can be a, a good middle six center I mean ideally if you can slot him on your third line he could be one of the better third line centers in the league if he can get his feet moving a little bit faster and, and kind of get going a little bit I think he's got legit talent to be that guy that really like locks the game down on the third line. Well, you know, with that, I, I, I and then I, I would imagine then net front presence at least second power play unit, if not first. Oh yeah, like he could definitely find time on the first power play. Like that net front role is a, a role that he plays really well, and and if he he keeps producing and, and developing the way he is. There's there's a different sh- definite shot that he's on the first power play unit. Are there any forward prospects that uh, that stand out to you that the Red Wings currently have? And then I promise everyone, uh, and you too, Tony, we're definitely going to get into the draft here in a second. Uh, Jonathan Bergeron's a guy that I really like. He's got a ton of skill and he's dealt with injuries and everything. So he's a guy that I think if he has a good season this year. You could see him maybe make the jump to the AHL next year and, and then get some NHL time even because he's got all the skill to do it. He's got the skill to be a top six forward. He just needs to get over being injured as, as often as he is. Right, yeah, I know. I mean, he's not the, not the biggest guy, but I guess if we've learned anything here lately that, uh, you know, uh, at one time everyone was uh, was just obsessed with size, size, size in the NHL. Uh, the way the rules are now, it's, it, it is more of a speed game and, and, and size is always nice, don't get me wrong, but... But, but it isn't as imperative as I, I think it was once thought of. Uh, uh, before we get into the draft, I want to ask you about some of the defensive prospects uh, uh, that the Red Wings have. What about a guy like Mo Sider? Uh, I know people were stunned. You, you know, you could hear the collective uh, gasp uh, last year in Vancouver when Steve mentioned his name at number six overall. But here is a kid that seems to just impress no matter what level he is at. Yeah, Moritz Sider was one of my favorite players in last year's draft, and I was a really big fan of his. I had him pretty high up in my rankings at the end of the year. I think he was 11 or 12 at the end of the year. So when he went sixth, for me, it wasn't as big a jump as for most people because a lot of people had him lower in the rankings. But the one thing with him last year was when I was kind of like studying him and, and watching his game and reading through some of the things that his coaches were saying is, is that they told him to really focus on the defensive game. They wanted him to really develop that side of the game at the men's level and let the offense come to him. So there was a lot of people that really didn't think he had that offensive game to him. But I, I think he's a guy that he's going to slowly develop that offensive game. I don't think he's going to be a... a a high-end offensive player. He's not going to be Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr, but he can be an Alex Petrangelo-esque defenseman. I, maybe he doesn't get to that level. I, I don't think he's a he's going to be that true number one defenseman, but he can easily play on your top pair, and in his defensive game is, is stellar. So I, I think he's going to be a great pr- player for the Red Wings. Uh, this is uh, the Red White Authority, episode 151. Our guest is the director of North American Scouting for Dauber Prospects, uh, Tony Ferrari. Uh, Tony, you're a local guy. I mean, I consider, you know, Windsor being local. Uh, have you always been a Windsor native? 
Yeah, I was born in Ottawa and I kind of moved around a little bit when I was young. And then when I was about five years old, we settled in Windsor and I've been here the entire time. So it, it's nice having the Red Wings so close, even uh, even if my entire family was a Red Wings fan. Really? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I always joke around that I didn't even realize that Ontario wasn't even a state till I was like 13 years old because we visited, uh, you know, Windsor so often. But uh, it is kind of a unique relationship, I would imagine, being Canadian as you are, having such a uh, mega metropolis like Detroit in your backyard. Yeah, I mean, I live right on the riverside now, so I, I look right out my window and Detroit's right there. I've always loved Detroit and I mean, I, I was always a Toronto fan of every sport growing up just because I wanted to be different from my family. But th there was no way I could not like watch the Red Wings win all those cups in the late 90s and early 2000s and not at least have a soft spot for them. So I've always I've always liked the Wings. And, and even even though when my family was making fun of me for being a Leafs fan. Well, you know, I know you cover the league. I know you know it inside and out. I know you know your prospects inside and out as well. Uh, uh, but uh uh, you know, I always say this, if Ken Holland had to leave, uh, you know, it, it, I would imagine from a Detroit perspective, it doesn't get much better than Steve Eiserman, who I think made a difficult transition because usually if you're a legendary player, sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't when you move into a management role. It certainly has worked out for Steve. Yeah, it's been impressive to see his transition to go right into, he, he was an assistant in Detroit for a while and getting that opportunity in Tampa it was really interesting to see what he was going to do with that team and and I mean he built a, a juggernaut of a team and we watched them basically his team win the Stanley Cup just last week so it, it was really impressive um, Julian Breezeball was able to put those finishing touches on it but Steve Eisman's fingerprints are all over that right team. yeah well you know and, and the reason I'm bringing up Steve is because obviously you know most cider seems like a good pick actually uh, uh, I, I, when you look at Detroit's draft and what those players did after they were drafted last year a guy like Elmer uh, 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 Soderbaum just kind of blossomed and he was a sixth round pick how would you rate Detroit's draft class last year I really liked the, what they did last year in the draft. There's a lot of players that I, I thought they did really good on. And there's a lot of people that felt like they reached on Mo Sider, but I felt like even if you want to admit that, there was so much value they got later in the draft. I, I was a big fan of the anti two Amisto pick. I, I think he's going to be a really good top four defenseman, maybe. Um, it, Robert Mastrosimone was a really, really high-end skill guy. Uh, he had a really good year in college this year. And Elmer Soderblom, he was a guy that... I think he he benefited from being massive in in the junior league in Sweden, but he, even now like he's playing well and, and he's doing well and I think he's a guy that you can look at and go you know what we can just develop this guy and if we get him to be a fourth line player in the sixth round that's gold. Yeah, it certainly is. I I, I mean I, you know I look at it and it was really odd. Last year was the first time in the history of the NHL draft that the Red Wings didn't draft one player from the Canadian Hockey League. And Steve said that, that just it just felt that it, it just fell that way. That wasn't their intention going in. But when their you know, Detroit's time was up, there was somebody else that, you know, obviously fit their needs. But uh I was a little bit surprised by that. Is that something that you really look at or is that something that I shouldn't even obsess about? Well, no, it's definitely something to note because every team kind of has a little bit of their own style of drafting. I mean, you look at a team like the Ottawa Senators, and they seem to love guys that go to the University of North Dakota. Uh, the New Jersey Devils are notorious for drafting Ottawa 67 players out of the OHL. So, I mean, every team kind of and every GM has their preferences. I, I think last year it was one of those moments where it just kind of fell that way. And, and it, I don't think Stevie's going to avoid drafting from the CHL because, I mean, he got Braden Point out of there in Tampa, so... 
Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know. I mean, when I told him that, I mean, he wasn't even aware of it. And uh, uh, and then, you know, he actually, he goes, look, it, it wasn't that we didn't, uh, it wasn't that we didn't like some of these guys. They just weren't available, the guys that we liked when we were drafting. Or, as I said, somebody else was there. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how much you really get to follow goaltenders or know th- uh, about them, but uh, their, uh, their pick in the seventh round last year was Carter Guylander, who just seems to put up numbers wherever he goes. I think he's slated to go to Colgate uh, this upcoming season. Do you? And, and I heard some people from the Red Wing organization, but you hear this all the time at draft time, say, wow, we can't believe that we drafted him, and we can't believe we drafted him in the seventh round. Do you know much about him, or is he kind of a wait-and-see type of guy? I think he's definitely a wait and see type of guy. He he was playing in junior A hockey and, and that's always a risk to draft from, especially with goaltenders, because if you're a pretty decent goaltender, you're going to be playing at a lower level at the junior A level. So it, it's a little bit easier to put up some gaudy numbers. Um, he's, he's one of those guys that I think when he goes to Colgate next year, you're going to be able to see him take that step up in competition. And that's really going to be when you can make a, a good judgment on him as a seventh round pick. I, I think it's, I love always swinging for upside in the seventh round because you're most likely not going to get an NHL player in the seventh round. So if you see a guy and, and there's just a guy that you like, or, or one of your scouts are really high on throw that pick th- towards that player, because maybe that scouts, right. Or maybe your, your gut feelings, right. And Carter Gylander might be one of those guys. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting about that is, is if, if you're going to do that, what better way with a goaltender, because it's really tough to predict, you know, what a goaltender is going to do. I mean, you know, I I mean, there isn't like a certain age where a guy blossoms. I mean, they can be real young or, you know, heck, we could have, uh, you know, I I know I shouldn't say Johnny Bauer because there's only a six-team league, but, you know, goaltenders all arrive at different times, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're right, because, I mean, you look at a couple of the the young goaltenders in the NHL right now, and a guy like Carter Hart, he was really young. He was 20 when he came up, and and he was playing really well. And then you look at a guy who was considered for Rookie of the Year as as recently as last year, and Jordan Bennington, and he was older when he made his NHL debut. So goalies are a little bit weird, and, I mean, unless you get a guy like maybe Yaroslav Askarov or a Carey Price or Vasilevsky, you're not really being going to be able to project them on an exact timeline. You know, there's another guy. I remember when the Red Wings drafted him too was Gus Lindstrom. They uh, they drafted him. I believe he was like 38th overall. I know it was in the second round. And I remember the the buzz on the draft floor was that wow. I mean, they scouts knew of him, but he was nowhere near projected to go that high. Red Wings bring him up last season. You know, injuries and in, in that he was playing in in North America for the first time, but he did not look out of place. Um, do, are you surprised that it's seem that Lindstrom looked like he belonged in the NHL. And I know it's a short sample size. There's a lot of things that can happen, but I was fairly impressed with what he was able to do when the Red Wings brought him up. Well, I think he's one of those guys that you kind of know what he's going to do when he's on the ice, because that's just the style of game he plays. He plays a little bit of a safer game. Um, It's not the the same as bringing a guy like Dennis Chalowski up, who I'd argue probably has a higher upside and, and a higher skill level. But with Lindstrom, you, you know what he's going to do back there. You know he's going to make the safe play and the right play. Whereas Chalowski, you know he's going to take a little bit more risks, and you're, you know he's going to try to do a little bit more offensively. So um, I think with, with Lindstrom, you you kind of get a, a bottom-pairing defenseman. You're not getting a guy that's really going to push your top four. But every team needs those bottom-pairing defensemen. So if you're getting him in the NHL draft, I mean, outside of the top 20 picks, you're you're guessing really early. And, you know, you mentioned Dennis Chalowski, and, and, you know, Dennis is one of those guys that, you know, all the tools are there. You can see it, especially offensively. Do you think that 
you know, in order to make that transition to be a top pair defenseman, like I think the Red Wings believe he will be, is that he has to get a little more grit to his game, or do you think he has to shore up his defensive game? Because he is a risk taker. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, at, at times he takes a risk and, you know, the puck ends up on the opposition stick and, you know, nine out of 10 times, unfortunately with where the Red Wings are at, it ends up in the back of the net. What is your opinion of Dennis? And I think that's kind of like spot on with what you just said there is right now with where the Red Wings are at. And and, and that's a big key for Dennis Chalowski because a guy like that who who really pushes the pace and pushes the puck up ice, he needs teammates to be able to assist him in doing that because when he makes that pass th- through the neutral zone to get a guy at the far blue line, he needs a guy there to be able to pe- take that puck and do something with it. And right now the Red Wings don't have as many of those guys as, as you'd like to have on a team. So I, I think he's a guy that, when when the Red Wings start to get a little bit more talent, he might be able to blossom a little bit more than he is now. So I think his biggest biggest thing he needs to work on right now is learning the defensive game. In in I don't think he necessarily needs to to really develop the grit. I think he needs to learn that if you lead with your stick and, and you push a guy out to the outside, if you use your stick to break up that puck, then you're going to be able to get help from the, your teammates. Then you're going to be able to work as a unit. And I think that's something he doesn't really do well yet. So I think that's the step he needs to take at the NHL level. And I think he could take that this year with, with, with some time because this condensed schedule that we're probably going to get is going to require guys kind of going in and out of the lineup. So he might be a perfect opportunity for that. Right. You know, I, I, I really agree with you. And I really like, uh, uh, you, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, he, I don't know how much he's going to modify being a risk taker. And, and and I and I kind of like that about him, you know. I I mean, he does show flashes, and, and you know, and I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, be, let, let, you know, I didn't really think, Tony. I'll be honest with you that we were going to spend this much time on guys in the system already. But I will ask as we wrap up, looking at some of the defensive prospects that the Red Wings have already in the system, is there anybody that you would like to mention that we haven't talked about? Uh, I, I think that a guy like Jared McIsaac is, is a guy oh, that doesn't yeah. get a ton of love because he, he was hurt a little bit and then he came back. And when he came back last year, you could tell he was laboring a little bit at times. And I mean, he, he, he played really well for the Canadian World Junior team. So I, I think that was a good moment. But then when he got back to the queue, he was a little bit banged up still. And, and I think he's a guy that can play top four minutes. He's not going to be a real like heavy offensive guy or a guy that pushes the pace. Like maybe some of us thought when he was dra- when he was drafted. But I think he's a guy that can kind of eat up some minutes, play a good two-way game, and, and not a guy that you're going to have to worry about necessarily. He can kind of play on any pairing. He's a versatile player, so he can play with any partner. Um, I think Jerry McIsaac's a guy that doesn't get as much love as he should. Well, you know, it's interesting. He was hurt last year, and I can remember talking to uh, uh, Sean Horkoff, the Red Wings uh, director of player uh, uh, development, and he's doing an outstanding job. I can remember when he got the job, I said, I, I thought you were still playing. I can't believe that you know, you're working for the Red Wings right now. Uh, but, but, but Sean and his staff, uh, Danny Cleary, uh, Nicholas Cromwell's now part of it. I, I think they really do do a good job in, in developing. And, uh, you know, he was talking about McIsaac, who had uh, uh, a shoulder surgery last year, and they were hoping that he could make it to Team Canada for the World Juniors, which he did. He was then traded uh, from uh, uh, in, in in the Canadian Hockey League, and then, you know, COVID-19 hit. So he has a small sample size. The Red Wings sent him over to play uh, in Europe right now, and it appears that they would rather have him just stay there uh, there for the year, but everything I've read is that he's just on the cusp of maybe finding out how good he can actually be. Is that a fair assessment? 
Yeah, and I think if he goes over there and, and plays for the year, that that's going to be a really good step for him. Um, I, I think he's a guy that really just needs to take that step up in competition and see where he's at. Because he, he's, a, I think he's a good player. Like I said, I think he's going to play in the NHL, but I think he needs to understand where his role is going to be in. Like I said, he, we all kind of thought he was going to be a bit more of an offensive guy. And I think he's going to be a good guy in transition and, and good defensively. And he's going to make a good first pass. I don't think he's going to have the same effect in the offensive zone that maybe he thought or any of the analysts thought when he was drafted. So I, I think making that small adjustment to his game and kind of just understanding what his role at the next level is going to be in, in this step to Europe is going to be a good spot for him to, to kind of learn and develop that. All right. Let's uh, let's now turn and to the uh although this has been a fascinating conversation tony i really appreciate your insight and i'm having a lot of fun i hope you're enjoying it as well uh having a blast yeah good that's good hey, anytime you're talking some hockey i mean some real tangible stuff here too i mean you know the draft is you know just uh less than a week away now um i i know we've touched on that's a lot we've touched on byfield uh, lafreniere uh but then at, at the number four spot it opens up let's go into some of the high-end uh, forward prospects and we'll ask you about a couple of defensemen, and there is one goaltender I'm going to have to get your opinion on. But, uh, you know, it, it, right now I would have to say that maybe, I don't know if it's the popular pick, but a real hot pick at number four for the Red Wings would be Cole Perfetti, who plays for Saginaw. What do you think of Cole? I'm a big fan of Cole Perfetti's game, and he's he's a really smart player. He's one of the smartest players in the draft. For me, it's it's either him or Marco Rossi that have the, the highest IQ in the draft. Uh, Cole Perfetti is one of those guys that, at the Halinka last year, he showed off his goal scoring, and, and we've seen it in the, his rookie season in the OHL as well. And he was a guy that everyone kind of came into the year and were like, oh, man, maybe he challenges 50. Maybe he pushes over 50 in, in the OHL this year. In the first month and a half of his season, he was shooting at about 2.5%, but he was still leading the OHL in scoring because he, his playmaking just exploded to another level. He's a guy that I think is a real high-end dual-threat player, um, and he just thinks the game at a higher level than most players. He he sees the plays a step ahead and his passing is pinpoint. That shot is still ridiculous and he still has that in his back pocket. But I think at the next level, what he's really going to be is that kind of maybe 20, 25 goal scorer that racks up the assist and, and kind of pushes his line around the ice and, and dictates how they're, they're playing the game. Uh, he does have some skating issues. Uh, um, I, I think he's smart enough to kind of get around it with his mobility overall. But I, I think he's going to need to take at least a little bit of a step there to really play center at the next level. That's where my concern is with him. I think he probably ends up, um, ends up on the wing, but he's a talented enough playmaker from the wing that I, I don't think that's really going to stunt his offensive game at all. So I think he's going to be one of those guys that is going to be a high-end, high-end playmaker that can really damage a team if they, they try to cheat too much and don't, don't respect his shot. Uh, let's uh, move to Marco Rossi, who I guess missed the uh, the 2019 draft by eight days, where his birthday birthday uh, uh, fell. So he's a he's a little bit older player, maybe, or maybe one of the oldest players in this draft. But everything about him, a wonderful story. Wants to pattern his game after Pavel Datsuk, which uh, you know it, it sounds good to me. Uh, but Marco Rossi also mentioned in the conversation about maybe going to Detroit at number four. Yeah, Marco Rossi, like I said with Cole Perfetti, he's one of the highest IQ guys in the draft. For my money, I think Marco Rossi is the smartest kid in this draft on the on the ice. 
he he's just a, a a cerebral player in the offensive zone. He knows what to do with the puck, and he's able to do everything. And that's what I love about Marco Rossi. He is a little bit smaller. He's five nine, but like what I'd like to say is he's got those Crosby thighs. Like I've met him in person a few <laughs> times, and, and and he's got those big thighs, and that's the first thing you notice about him. He's got that strong lower base, and he's able to win the battles with it. He's he's one of those rare smaller players that I don't worry about his size at all because of how powerful he is on his lower half. Um, I think he has the more than enough potential to play center. It's just going to be a, a coach willing to go, you know what? We have a 5'10 center. And, and a coach like John Cooper in Tampa was able to do that. And they did that with Braden Point. I, Marco Rossi doesn't have that same speed and dynamism as Braden Point, but he's got an, an advanced two-way game. He's one of the, like I said, one of the smartest players in the draft. And I think he has legitimate, he might be outside of Anton Lindell, the best defensive center in this draft. And just the way he drives play to the middle of the ice into the dangerous areas. And he just produces like he had 120 points this year in the OHL led the, the entire CHL in scoring. And like you said, he's a little bit older for this draft class, but so is Alexis Lafreniere and, and he outscored him in the CHL this year. So I think Marco Rossi's a high end talent. If he's taken at four, he, he's, he's my fourth best prospect on my ranking personally. Okay. And I'll ask you when we're all done going through all this, who do you think the Red Wings will take at number four? Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I want to go to a, to a, another North American skater that maybe I should have paid a little bit more attention to over the year, who seems to be moving up and people have a very high opinion of him. I don't know if it's as high as a number four pick overall, but that's uh, Ottawa right wing Jack Quinn. Uh, are you a Quinn fan, so to speak? I've kind of been labeled as a Quinn hater this year, and, and oh, beautiful! I, it's, it's not it's not anything against Jack Quinn, and it's I think there's there's elements of Jack Quinn's game that don't get respect enough. They're like his off puck movement and his ability to kind of play a good two hundred foot game. He doesn't get the respect for that. In but on the flip side, I think he gets too much respect for his goal scoring. I've seen some people call him the best goal scorer in this draft, and I just think that's ridiculous personally. I, I think he's not even the best goal scorer in the OHL. Um, the, he's got a good shot, but the 50, the 52 goals were kind of inflated in my opinion. There was a lot of times where he, he was banging in goals around the net and, and that's a good skill. Like that's not a bad talent to have, but I don't think he's going to be that elite high end goal scorer. I think a guy like Cole Perfetti, a guy like Marco Rossi, or a guy like even Jacob Perot, who's farther down on draft boards, they they're all from the OHL. And I think they're all guys that could probably score more goals at the NHL level than Jack Quinn. But I think Jack Quinn's going to be a really good middle six player. I I don't see that top end upside with him. For me personally, he's a, a more realistic pick in the teens, but I have seen him up high on draft boards, and I've talked to NHL teams that, that really love this kid in the top ten. Okay. Uh, with that said, I want to go to a couple of uh, Swedish forwards. Uh, I've actually seen both of these gentlemen play and have been pretty impressed with them. Uh, 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 let's go first to uh, Lucas Raymond, who I guess at the beginning of the season there was talk that he could be – you know, fighting for that top spot with, uh, with with Lafreniere. I don't know if that's just hyperbole or not, but uh, Lucas Raymond obviously is a player that many, many people are impressed with. Yeah, Lucas Raymond's a guy that, that kind of, I think there was a lot of overcorrection on him last year where people were kind of soured on him because he didn't really put up those high-end numbers. He didn't really produce at some insane rate because he was playing against men in Sweden. Like last season, he really... Sh- didn't have much like impact. It was 10 points in 33 games at the SHL level. And for, for a kid that was only getting eight, nine minutes a game, there was games where he was getting four or five minutes and he was still driving play. He was still doing things right. And he was generating chances. So when you looked at him on a, on a rate base, 
on a rate basis, he was doing the things and he was doing them well. And he was one of the better of the three big Swedish forwards. He was the, the best at it when you looked at him by the minute. But the problem was he was playing on a stacked for Lunda team and he didn't really get that opportunity in the top six. So he wasn't able to flash his skill as much. And now we see him kind of doing that this year. He's getting that bigger role and he's only played three games, but he's got two points already and he's doing things on the ice that are really special and high end skill. Um, there was a play today where I was watching his game and he kind of just, he took the puck and he just walked around three guys and made a really nice pass uh, across the seam right to the, right to a player and they didn't score, but he's generating those chances. And I, I think Lucas Raymond for, for my money, he's the third best prospect in this draft. And for me, he's closer to, to Byfield and, and Lafreniere than he is probably to the, the next group behind him. Uh, and uh, we are recording this podcast on October 2nd on Friday evening. So, uh, uh, so uh, when and when Tony said that he was able to watch the game, obviously he's playing in Sweden, and they're a few hours ahead of us. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes Tony, I offer way too much information, you know. But uh, uh, let's go to another guy that I like because from things that I have read, is that he is the best pure sniper in this draft class. I'm not sure you're going to agree with this. I know I picked him on the Fox Sports Detroit shows. That's what the Red Wings were going to take at number four. But Alexander Holtz. I'm a big fan of Alexander Holtz, and I definitely do agree with you. He is the best goal scorer in this draft, and I don't think it's close, to be completely honest. Um, he's got a legit NHL ready shot now. I think if, if you're able to just kind of plop him in and let him shoot the puck, he could put in 25 goals next year in the NHL. Um, he's, he's a stud. His shot is ridiculous. Um, the rest of his game, he still needs some work. He, he needs to be able to kind of push into the more dangerous areas because he has been able to, with his ridiculous shot, get away with shooting from a bit more, a bit more distance. But this kid's got a ton of skill. He's got that that real ability to, to attack in, in different ways. He's not a guy that needs to set up in the face-off circle and, and just fire pucks that way. He can fire off the rush. He can work a cycle in the offensive zone. He can he can find space. And, and this is an elite, elite goal scorer. I, I think this is a kid that could challenge 45, maybe even 50 goals at the NHL level if he reaches a ceiling. Wow. Well, you know, yeah, that, that, that kind of warms my heart to hear you say that, Tony, since I picked him as the Red Wings, uh, uh, as a Red Wings pick. A player that, you know, I, I'm intrigued about, and, uh, and you did mention him uh, just a few minutes ago, um, is Anton Lundell, the, uh, um, uh, from, from Liga, from uh, the Finnish player. I've heard either, there's no two ways about it. Either you're in love with him or you can't stand him. Uh, and, and, and I'm not even being, you know, uh, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, either people love him or they don't like him. Uh, with that said, where do you fall on on him? I don't know, again, if he's maybe four is a little too high, but what kind of player do you think he is? I, I think Lundell's a really good player. I'm a big fan of Lundell, and I, I'm probably in that camp of, of loving him, to be completely honest. He's a guy that, I, while I don't think four is, is the right pick for, with him, um, I think he could be one of those sneaky options if Eisman does decide to go a little bit off the board because this top 10, like I've said before, anywhere between 3 and 10, you could probably interchange him, and, and Lundell fits right into that group. He's a guy that if he hits his ceiling, he could be a Ryan O'Reilly, Selkie Trophy type uh, offensive center, or defensive center, sorry. And he's a guy that I think with his shot, it, it's improved this year, and he's been playing really, really well in the Liga. He, he played, uh, you, like you mentioned earlier, it's October 2nd. He played his first game in the Liga regular season today, and he had a goal. It was a, it was a deflection off his skate and went in, but he's, he's proving to people that he can get to those dangerous areas. He's showing the offensive talent that he has, and I think this guy could be a legitimate Selkie Trophy candidate. 
Um, I, I think the change of pace between him and Larkin down the middle would be r- pretty ridiculous. You're going from this hyper-skilled, offensive, fast guy in Larkin to a more methodical uh, drive the play, grind it down, work the cycle, defensive center in Lundell that can also score. So I, I think he's he may not be the guy that a lot of people think of, but in, in five, ten years down from this draft, I think he's going to be one of these guys that people like. Maybe he had a lot more value than we initially thought on draft day. Uh, I, I want to move over to 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 defense. Uh, just a couple of prospects there, maybe a couple of goaltenders, and then we'll get your pick. And then I want to ask you maybe some of the later rounds, second and third, where I think the Red Wings have six picks in the top 66 in the draft. I know they have a number one, uh, you know, the fourth pick overall, then three second round picks, and then two in the third round. So, and that's where Steve has done a, a lot of impressive work uh, when he was at Tampa uh, drafting guys. Uh, uh, but uh, let's go to Jamie Drysdale whom, again, uh, scuttlebutt, and I've said this on the Word on Woodward show many, many times, people are telling me that he's so good and he's so smart and he's such a a terrific skater and has great edge work that he's a definitive number one defenseman. Are you sold on that, Tony? I'm a little bit sour on this defensive class in general. I think Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson both can be – can be top pair defensemen, but I don't know if they either of them really have that number one potential. Um, I think Jamie Drysdale is another one of those guys, like I kind of talked about with Jack Quinn, where he's he's a little bit misconstrued because of what he does at the junior level. I think he's a guy that he he at the junior level he's this hyper offensive, really skilled guy. He had just almost a point a game this year, and I think he's he's more of that transitional defender. I think he's going to be able to like run a power play. He's going to be a productive defenseman. But he may not be that true offensive guy at the next level. Um, there's a lot of people that kind of said, oh, maybe he's Quinn Hughes. And I don't know if he's that that level of, of player. But he's almost that level of skater. He, he's extremely maneuverable in, in the offensive zone. He walks the blue line as well as anybody in this draft class. I, I think he's going to be a really, really high-end defenseman. But I don't know if he has that number one potential. And, and for me, I think both Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale fall a little bit down the board from where Detroit's going to be drafting. Well, and, and, you know, I know we you touched upon Jake Sanderson, but he is kind of like, and for lack of a better term, I'm just going to say this year's most cider from the standpoint of he seems to have had a meteoric rise in the rankings. Uh, where he is now mentioned in the same breath as Drysdale, whereas before it wasn't even close. What are people seeing in Jake Sanderson to have him just, you know, almost catapult up these rankings? Well, I think the big thing with Sanderson is he's really young for this draft class, and he's always displayed all the tools. He's always been able to pass the puck. He's always been one of the better skaters. And, and this year, he just really took it to another level. I, I think he he did a really good job of driving offense for that team, despite it being a little bit more of a, a defensive-oriented team. They didn't the, the national team development program didn't have a ton of skill this year, so it was on him and on a, f- a few other guys to really drive the play offensively, and, and he did that. He was really, really good at that, and I think he's going to be as good or better than San- Drysdale, personally. I, I'm a big fan of Jake Sanderson. I Right now, for me personally, it, it's going to be a, a stylistic preference for, for what a team takes first out of those two defensemen because if they if they want that guy that's more of a, a tra- transitional uh a little bit more offensive and a power play guy, then they're going to go with, J- with Jamie Drysdale. But if a team wants a guy that can play in all three zones and has a really good jo- uh, skill and, and ability to really shut things down defensively in transition. So Jake Sanderson's biggest strength is he's able to kind of 
cut the play off before it even really gets dangerous. And that's a really valuable skill to have in today's NHL. And with his skating and passing ability, I think he has, a, I don't know. I, for me personally, I think I, I favor Jake Sanderson over Jamie Drysdale at this point. Well, well, you know, you're not alone. I mean, I hear that a lot, and uh, you know, so, w- which is interesting because, as I said earlier, not to be too redundant here, you know, I mean, Drysdale was the defenseman. I mean, he was by far, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. Let's move just to a couple of goaltenders. One that we've talked about, uh, I've talked about uh, at nauseum at times, but that's uh, Yaroslav Askarov, uh, the uh, right-handed catching uh, uh, sensation from uh, from Russia. Uh, uh, I don't know if four would be too high. I mean, no, I wouldn't put anything past Steve, but uh, uh, Askarov, head and shoulders, the best uh, goaltender prospect since Carey Price, or is that just way too effusive? That, it's probably accurate, to be completely honest. Like, I, I think maybe Vasilevsky didn't get the respect he deserved in his draft year, but Askarov's doing things that really no other goaltender has done at his age. He, he was so dominant at all the international events up until the World Juniors, where he was playing at, as a two years underager there. So I, I don't really fault him for the World Junior performance because everywhere else he's been so dominant. And I think he's a guy that he, he's got so much skill and he's one of these goalies that a lot of people struggle with with evaluating goalies. And, and myself included in that, I took a lot of time this year knowing Askarov was coming up to really try to study the goaltending game last summer so I could be prepared for this. And, and even though I, I don't consider myself an expert by any means on goaltending, you can look at Askarov and look at an NHL goalie and that's more similar than if you look at Askarov in a, a typical junior hockey goalie or any other goalie at his age, really. Um, Joel Bloomquist is probably the next best goalie in this year's draft class. And you just look at him and Askarov and it's just a different game. Askarov plays at so much higher level. He's so much more mature. And it's just, you can see his, his processing speed and his ability to read the play and, and kind of do what he needs to do in this crease and the way he moves around. Askarov is an NHL goalie. He's a pro goalie already, and he's showing that in the KHL right now. I, I think he's a guy that I. the reason I'm so high on him is when you're drafting a guy at 8, 9, 10, 11, you're probably going to wait a year, maybe two years for him anyways. I think Askarov's going to be in the NHL just as fast as that. So even if he's your 1B in two years, I think he's a guy that is really going to be in the NHL two years from now playing meaningful games for your team. So I, I'm really high on Askarov. Four is probably a little bit higher than I would even go, but I, I think anywhere from six on, you have to at least consider him. All right, I'm going to ask this for all my buddies in Guelph, and I do have friends in Guelph. Uh, you know, they're all over Nico Dawes. Uh, what can you tell us about Nico? Because the scuttlebutt again is is that with the either in the second round where the Red Wings have three picks, or that third round where they have two, one of those five picks is going to end up being a goalie. Could it be Nico Dawes? It's, it certainly could be. Nico Dawes is an interesting goaltender because he's he's an overage goaltender, so he's a draft plus one kid. And even for his draft plus one season, he's an older kid. So he's almost two years beyond when he would normally be drafted. So he's a guy that I, I have my own tepidations with him. I think he's a good goaltender. And because he is so much more advanced and mature in his age and everything, you kind of know what you're getting with him. I think he's a goalie that could maybe be a 1B, a 1A kind of goalie. But again, you're you're really relying on him taking that step at 19-20 like, that he's been doing. And, and maybe I, you see more upside in a guy like maybe Drew Comesso from the National Team Development Program or, or even Joel Bloomfist in the second round, the Finnish goalie. So Nico Dodd necessarily wouldn't be my pick in that range, but I definitely think the, the Red Wings are going to draft a goalie probably in the second or third round. All right. With uh, uh, we we've talked about goaltenders, we've talked about uh, 
uh, forwards. We've talked about a couple of defensemen. Uh, uh, you know, again, I think conventional wisdom says that maybe it's a little bit light on defensive prospects this year. Is there anybody that we have not mentioned that you could possibly see, Steve, again, who God only knows what he's going to end up doing, and, you know, he, he keeps it really, really close to the vest, that we haven't mentioned that maybe could be a possible uh, Red Wing at the number four pick? Even if he goes off the board, I don't think he goes off the board so much that it would be outside of this group because this this group from three to ten that we've kind of talked about is, is really really strong. I think if 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 Stutzel maybe falls to him, that's a that's a pick that you're maybe not expecting. But outside of guys like that, maybe a Rodian Amirov intrigues Steve Eiserman. But I, I think even Stevie would be like, you know what, I got to trade back for this guy because you're going to be able to get that guy later on. And if my opinion, I I wouldn't stray from this group. All right. With okay, then Tony. Here we go. You know, if uh, if we had a budget on this podcast, I might even have a a drum roll here or something, or or, or roll it in. Number four, Steve Eiserman. It's Tuesday. He's wherever he's going to be. He would not divulge his location on his uh, on his presser yesterday when he uh, his pre draft presser. But when when he pops up on his Zoom screen or whatever, uh, and he says with the fourth pick, the Detroit Red Wings select. Who do you think that player is going to be? Uh, if if I'm making the pick, it's going to be Lucas Raymond. I think he's the guy that that really provides the most value there because I think he can drive a line from the wing, and, and I think he's going to be a really solid player. But I, I think it might be Cole Perfetti. Like, there's too many connections that make sense there. I and, and it's not a reach in, in, by any means with Cole Perfetti. Like I said, that entire group there is pretty interchangeable, and Cole Perfetti has one of the higher upsides in that group. So. I think it's more than willing a bet that they can take, and if he makes a if he takes a step in his skating, he could be a really dangerous player. Wow. Okay. So um, you're saying uh, without question, it's Lucas Raymond, uh, but you wouldn't be surprised if it's Cole Perfetti. And I know you touched upon us, and before we get into some of the later rounds, I want to uh, specifically the second and third who the Red Wings may um, and may be targeting some sleepers, if you will. Um, you know, Perfetti and Rossi. Are, are not very, very big. Does size matter, or should Red Wing fans, when they say, well, geez, one guy's 5'9", the other guy's like you know 5'10", or whatever, um, is, is that that much of a huge, uh, is, is that a big criteria as it once used to be in the NHL? I don't think it's as important as it as it once was. I think it's still important. I think you still, if you can get a guy like Quentin Byfield who has the size of 6'4", 200 pounds, and he has all the skill in the world, you're still going to take that over a guy who's, the same skill level but only 510 so I, I think size matters in, in terms of like you maybe take a guy with size a little bit higher if you you think their skill levels are the same but i think skill and speed and skating is what wins in the nhl today and i think tampa bay proved that with all the skill and st- skating that they had and i mean you still need those guys to bang it and stuff but I, I think valuing the size over a guy with too so much skill might be a mistake three picks in the second round for detroit two in the third round uh, I believe it's, and I'm going off the top of my head right now. I believe they have uh, six picks in the top 66 in the draft, which is which is pretty darn good. And I know there's a couple of other teams that are in pretty good shape draft wise. Uh, are there some diamonds in the rough, some sleepers that you think that uh, uh, Red Wing fans should be on the lookout for? I think there are. Like with that 32nd pick, I think they're in a really good spot because, like I said, this this talent this draft has a lot of high end talent. So. I think if if a guy like maybe Murat Kuznadinov is there, the Russian center, he's got a, an impressive two-way ability. He's really high energy, high tempo, aggressive hockey player. 
Um, he's a bit undersized, but I think he's a guy that can play center at the next level. Um, he, he's so good at just using his skill and speed to get around guys. And he's so creative with the puck that I, I think Murat Kuznodinov would be a steal in the second round. But outside of that, you, you there's a couple Germans in JJ Paterka in, in uh, Lucas Reichel that could definitely be there. And, and those are guys that I think would complement the wings in, in, a, in a really good way. Paterka's a high energy, high pace, just give everything he's got kind of player. And he plays up to his teammates. So he's not a guy that's necessarily going to drive the line or, or be the, the, the driving force on the line. But he's a guy that can, if you put him on the second line with some skilled guys, he's going to be able to pitch in and score. If you put him on the third line and you want him to play a defensive role, he's going to be able to play a defensive role because he plays with that high energy. He plays with that that effort that never seems to end with him. And, and Lucas Reichel is a bit more of a guy that kind of reins it in and kind of controls the play and, and understands how to move the puck offensively. Uh, he, he has a chance to play center, and, and I think that's a spot that he could definitely project at in the, at the NHL level. But I, I think there's a lot of skill and stuff that could fall out of that second round. Uh, now, with that said, Tony, and I, I guess now I'm asking you, maybe once we get to the third round, we're going into, you know, the old disc jockey and me would like to call the deep cuts of the draft. Uh, are there maybe some third round picks, and third rounders have made it in the NHL, there's no doubt about that, that guys, again, that maybe are a little bit off the radar, but you actually like. Yeah, there's a, there's a few guys, and, and I think Brock Faber's a really good defenseman that could, could be there. Um, I've talked to teams that really like him in the second round. I've talked to teams that, that prefer him in the fourth, so there's a wide range, so he could certainly be available at that spot, but he's a super high-end skater. Um, he, he's really smart as a, as a puck mover, and I think he's really good in transition. So he's going to be a guy that isn't going to necessarily put up a ton of points, but he's going to be able to get the puck to the offensive zone and let the skilled players do their work. Um, another, a teammate of his is Ty Smilanek, who also played for the National Team Development Program, and he, he dealt with a bunch of injuries this year, and, and when he wasn't injured, he, he was kind of still dealing with a, a nagging wrist injury, so his shot that, that can, came into the year as his biggest weapon wasn't really there. Um, I think he has great hands. He's got great vision. He's, he's one of the more skilled players in transition at, at finding unique ways to get through the offensive zone and unique paths, but I, I think he's a guy that... He, he might get underrated because he dealt with so many injuries. And another guy like that, if he makes it to the third round, is, is Anton Johansson, this really high, high-skilled de- defenseman coming out of Sweden. Um, his biggest problem, though, is he's injured. he was injured for the last two years, basically. Um, but when he was playing, he was easily the best Swedish defenseman in this draft over Helga Granz, over a William Wallander. He, he's just got so much skill. His, his ability to drive play from the back end is really, really special. So... He's a bit undersized, but if he works out, he could be a he could be a, a massive steal in this draft class. Yeah, when you look at it, and this is uh, uh, the final question uh, uh, for you, Tony. But when you when you look at the whole big picture, Detroit has ten picks uh, uh, through seven rounds in the the NHL draft. Uh, when it's all said and done, do you think it's going to be heading it forward with a goaltender, or do you think Steve's going to try to you know space it out a little bit? I think there's going to be a bit of a forward emphasis on this draft class. I think towards the middle and later rounds, you're going to be able to kind of take a guy like, like I said, Anton Johansson, who has injury concerns and size concerns. So he might still be there and you're going to be able to take a risk on him in the middle of rounds. A guy like Zion Newbick is, is another smaller player that maybe kind of falls to that, that late second, early third, even fourth round, maybe. So I think there's going to be a heavy emphasis on skill. There's going to be a heavy emphasis on guys that, maybe don't have the surefire guaranteed NHL upside, but if they get to the NHL, they're going to be a special, special player, or or they're going to be at least a really good high-end contributor. Um, This draft, like I said, it isn't necessarily deep in in true surefire NHLers. You're not going to get 
guys that are going to be like your third line player as often i think you're going to get a lot of guys who are either top six or middle six guys or they're not going to make it to the nhl because this is a draft that like i said it's got a lot of high-end depth but there's a lot of risk with some of that depth so as we get deeper in the draft you're going to get a lot of just swings for the fences i think our guest is the director of North American Scouting uh, for uh, Dauber Prospects. It's uh, Tony Ferrari. Uh, Tony, uh, fans, uh, uh, you know, if they're if they're interested, they want to they want to start reading Dauber and reading all your reports. Uh, what do they have to do? Uh, you can just find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. Um, all my stuff is posted on DauberProspects.com. We have tons of articles on on deep dives on on all these prospects, and and, and there's over 120 now i think player profiles just for this draft alone so you can kind of spend an entire afternoon on that page if you want we just dropped our draft rankings as well so there's a top 100 there and our managing editor dropped his own draft rankings as well so there's two big uh long draft rankings for you to read through if you really want something like that oh yeah well i'm sure uh, if people are listening to this podcast and many many do uh, uh, uh it's a mystery to me why but no just joking uh, but uh with that said i mean yeah that that's right up every uh, our audience's uh uh, our audience is uh, um, Allie. I, I I know that you know you grew up in in Windsor, but but pretty much a uh, a, a Toronto fan. And I don't want to get into the Leafs at all here. But um, how do you see the Detroit organization uh, evolving in the next few years? I mean, Steve says patience. It's going to take a while. Uh, when do you see maybe the Red Wings getting back to uh, the standard that you know we were used for? for the last couple of decades, actually. Well, in fairness, I don't want to talk with the Leafs either because they're a dumpster fire of their own. Um, <laughs> as for the Red Wings, I have a lot of faith in Stevie. Like, I have a lot of faith that he's going to be able to take this team and go in the right direction because since he's come here, he's made so many good moves. And, and the other thing I like is he's he's still making moves. Not every move works out. Um, the, the Robbie Fabry move was great, but there was other little trades that didn't quite work out as well. So I think he's... He's working around the, the margins, kind of tinkering with the stuff that's that he can tinker with right now. But he, like he said, patience is going to be key. It's probably going to be a couple more years till this team is back in the playoffs. But I think they're doing it right. I, I think they're building something towards what a Tampa is, what a what a Boston is, what a San Jose used to be, what a Pittsburgh is. They're building towards that really long-term successful team. And, and I think he's doing it right. And, and what he's done so far, I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, you mentioned him, and I'm going to ask you, and I know I keep saying one last question, but I'm famous for saying that and then going on forever. Uh, but I, I'm real curious, Tony, you mentioned Robbie Fabry. Uh, I know Jeff Blaschel has mentioned it. I've asked Fabry. He seems all on board with it. And Steve actually mentioned it as well when they re-signed Sam Gagne. I asked him this question uh, about, is Gagne your second-line center, which the Red Wings really need to try to solidify that position? Do you believe, with what you know about Robbie Fabry, and I'm pretty sure you're real familiar with him, that he can play a, be a second-line center in the NHL? I think he's at least worth a shot. I think Fabry had some some kind of stunts in his development and whatnot with all the injuries he dealt with early on with St. Louis. And, and I think he at least deserves a shot because it's not like the Red Wings have a guy that's like solidified in that position. So I think next year there's going to be a lot of tinkering. I think we're going to be able to see a few different guys in that second line center position, whether it's Gagne or Filipula or, or, or guys like Fabry or even maybe Valeno gets a shot. So I, I think it's going to be pretty wide open and, and it doesn't hurt to give Robbie Fabry a shot because he showed well last year with the Wings. 
I swear this is the last question, but you know, I didn't, you know, he's one of our, uh, he's one of our player bloggers too. Uh, uh, Joe Valeno, uh, uh, I, what another year, maybe in GR, if it, even if the AHL season, uh, 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 comes to some sort of fruition at all. Uh, do you think that, that, uh, uh, or is Valeno just, you see him being, uh, you know, in the A next year as well. I think it's going to be a year similar to what Zadina just went through last year. Whereas I think he's going to start in the AHL. He's going to start with the Griffins and it's going to depend on how well he's playing. If he, if he earns that call up or and Detroit needs some, some guys up because of injuries or, or just because the season's going to be condensed and, and maybe they just want to swap a few guys out to give guys rest on uh, four five games and four nights or something crazy like that. So I think Valeno is going to get some NHL time next year. I don't know how extended it'll be, but I think he's going to get 20, 30 games at least and and really get that taste because I, I think it's beneficial for a guy like, like Valeno. And I think it was beneficial for a guy like Zadina because they were able to really get a, a taste of what the NHL is like, what they need to work on. And now that, and now that Zadina is going to be coming into his first full season in the NHL and, and Valeno would be doing that the following season. So getting them kind of prepped and getting the, that little taste gives them an opportunity to go back in the summer and go, okay, this is what I need to work on. This is where I need to get better. And this is how I'm going to do it. All right. If I promise this is the last question. And if it isn't, you can just walk out of the room, Tony. Uh, 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 another one of our player bloggers uh, <laughs> uh, on our taking flight blog series is Giovanni Smith whom brings a very unique skill set and does have a little bit of offensive pop into his game as well. I already have him making the Red Wings next year. I thought he was impressive, uh, you know, at 21 years old with what he was able to do last year. Is Giovanni, uh, is he one of these guys that will stick and stay in Detroit? I think he's going to be one of those guys that kind of carves a rollout for himself in a, in a fourth-line role. Maybe he doesn't stick in Detroit long-term, but he's going to be the, one of these guys that I think it's in the NHL and kind of going up and down from the AHL. He's a guy that is going to be skilled enough to play in the NHL, but he might not be always your, your first option at, on your fourth line or something like that. So I could see him being a bit of a tweener kind of going through his career, but I, next year on the Red Wings, I certainly see a role for him. Okay, great. All right. With that said, we're going to have to leave it right there. Tony Ferrari, the director of North American Scouting for Adaber Prospects. Thanks for joining us on the Red and White Authority. We're going to have to have you on again, Tony. And uh, just so uh, people who are, you know, if you screwed up and you're somehow at the end of it and you didn't hear, Tony thinks that Lucas Raymond will be uh, uh, the guy the Red Wings pick, but he wouldn't be surprised if it were Cole Perfetti as well. I know I'm going to stick by Alexander Holtz because that's what I said, so I'm not going to change it now. But uh, uh, with that said, Tony, thank you very, very much. Really appreciate it. I love I love Dauber hockey. I love Dauber prospects. I, I love everything about it. Uh, you guys do a fantastic job. Thanks for being on the Red and White Authority. No problem. Thanks for having me.